All right. It's been hot out these last few weeks. Really hot. Might get you thinking that ice fishing doesn't sound too bad right now. Well, you can start preparing and getting your ice fishing gear in line and get yourself a JT rod, ice fishing rod at jtoutdoorproducts.com. And if you type in promo code freshwaterbite, all one word, you save 5% on your order. Not a bad idea in this heat right now to have an ice rod show up in the mail. Might cool you off. Or if you haven't got that long rod for this season, like a Black Rain or a JT Mag Light, you can throw that in there too and save 5%. It's up to you. For the last you are listening to the Freshwater Bite Podcast. What's up, everybody? I'm back. I'm back here in the month of July. Woo! June was busy for me. I had a family vacation. I fished the NWT, the National Walleye Tour, uh, as a co-angler. And it was my birthday, so super busy month for me, but I've got some great episodes coming up for you guys, not only on the fishing side, but also on the hunting side of things, too, here in the state of Michigan. So, But this episode, episode number four, I am joined by Joe Okada, professional walleye angler, and he stopped by today to not only give us a background on himself coming up in the industry what the industry is like nowadays. Um, But he also tells us about some techniques and tricks to pulling crawler harnesses in the summertime and to put more fish in the boat for you this time of year. So Joe is one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. He's uh, very down to earth and he shares a ton of information with us. And it's kind of a cool story about him and his dad and how they got fishing together and how his dad pushed him to the next level. So Without any further ado, here's Joe Okada, everybody. All right, and we're live. We got uh, Joe Okada here on the phone. Joe, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Lee. Yeah, man, you bet. You uh, you beating the heat over there during this heat wave? I am right now. Actually, my truck's in the shop, so I'm landlocked in the AC anyways. Oh, man. <laughs> but, uh, the, other, the other day we had to go out there. I spent a full day on one of our local lakes here in Madison. I think it was 105 degree index not that i'm complaining i'm i'm all about the summer stuff so just halfway through the day i was like does it feel like there's a blow dryer that's just beating on our face all day here guys but then a bobber went down and we caught some more fish and we were all happy yeah that's the thing right you can still get that 10 mile an hour wind but it feels like just dry blow dryer heat blowing in your face all yes. the time. exactly <laughs> well awesome man well hey for all those people out there um Maybe who don't know who you are, which I find it hard to believe because you're a huge name in the walleye industry. Can you just tell us who you are and how you got started in the industry in general? Uh, just a multi-species fishing geek that's kind of born and raised here in Madison, Wisconsin. We've got a, a really unique set of lakes here that I uh, was able to kind of build a, a foundation on and a love of fishing overall. And uh, kind of expanded that through competitive angling since uh, 2004. Four, I believe, and still playing the game to this day, and uh, had a lot of fun doing it. How'd you get started in the fishing to begin with? Just as uh, as a young boy, you've always done it. I, I did, yeah. I, I watched I watched a lot of Saturday morning fishing shows on TV, and then Grandpa and Dad would 
uh, let me hop in the boat with them and go out and drift around for some panfish on their on their local lakes around here and then uh, eventually found some shore fishing spots I could ride my bike to and uh, just became consumed is an understatement of, of the whole aspect of fishing as a whole. It didn't matter what the species. I was, was extremely obsessed with carp fishing and carp fishing techniques that were brought over from Europe um, a long time ago. And, and that that's actually what kind of built the foundation of how I approach a lot of fishing overall from the technical side into everyday fishing life today. So, so, fish, so, so fishing... Fishing for all those different species, like you said, how did you catch the walleye bug? Uh, I, I believe it was through TV. Um, I mean, Linder Media did a great job promoting the sport of walleye fishing and, and showing that there was a tournament side to, to walleye fishing. And then once I got my hands wrapped around Walleye Insider and started seeing how, how technical these anglers were and how... Uh, uh, how, how they just had to approach so many different tactics and be so versatile to catch fish in so many different locations at different times of the year. It was just a really cool challenge to develop uh, to develop that arsenal, and that's what really got me gravitated towards walleyes. I think that's why I like them so much is they they make you they keep you on your toes and they humble you in a heartbeat, and I really like that about that fish. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And probably fishing for all those other species too just helped you, you know, like you said, adapt different techniques and, uh, you know, really figure out how to t- keep other fish off and only hone in on the walleye. Yeah, it is. And it, like, you know, even going back to the carp thing, uh, I, I mean, if you read some of the books from some of the gurus over in Europe, I mean, it is so fine tuned for those fish. I mean, a lot of those fish have been caught multiple times. A lot of them are 50, 100 years old. Who knows? But they're, they're educated pressured fish and uh, the advanced, you know, ledgering and rigging techniques that they use for, for all species of fish over there, uh, they, it holds a lot of weight to how you approach finicky fish uh, and, and, and make the most of your presentations for any species of fish that you choose to fish here in, the, in this country. It's a lot of cool, um, a lot of cool parallels. Yeah, and especially so. with all the different types of bodies of water, too. I mean, you're close to the Great Lakes. You've got easy access to a lot of big inland lakes as well. Yeah, I'm right. I'm kind of in the center of walleye country if you think about it. I mean, I'm I'm an 8-hour drive from any well, you know, there's some stuff really there's some really cool stuff way out west that uh, that live a lot of reach unless you really make a plan a trip, but you're realistically 8 8 9 hours away from some of the best walleye lands in all of the world, you know, and uh, I can go play in any of those bodies of water at any given time and and, uh, and that's, that's what I, I think that's one reason I really like the tournament fishing aspect too, is because it forces you to go to cool different places and, uh, just expand your horizons on, on stuff that you not necessarily would always make a, uh, an effort to go chase. Yeah. And, you know, coming up, like you said, catching the walleye bug, being all in on all the different techniques, the challenge of it, how did you get to that point? Or when did you know you got to that point where you're like, you know, I want to start entering tournaments, which eventually led you to being a staple name in the, at the NWT. Um, I think because the learning was never done. You know, you, you, you try to accomplish one thing. For example, I remember the first time I tried pulling snap weights with, you know, uh, you know snap weights and crankbaits out here on, on Lake Wabisa, which is a, a little 2,000-acre lake here at home. 
but it took a while to, to learn it and to understand it and to see what the, the variables that went along with trolling snap weights from speed to weight to length of line to, to, to the to every every aspect of it. And then once you finally see a planer board go back using that presentation, you just kind of patted yourself on the back like, holy cow, I just figured that out and learned it. And now I need to go learn more about other stuff. And how else could I have caught that same fish under those same conditions? And what could I have done different? And, um, and then when I when you when you see these these just household names that are still competing to this day, uh, you know, doing so well on so many different bodies of water over and over again, and and me seeing that they that there's actually an avenue to compete against those guys, that that's just when the, you started setting goals to want to also play in that realm at some point in time, and then you can start with my grade school teachers and ask them. And I mean, I've always always wanted to uh, just be there and compete against them and test myself against the fish and some of the other good anglers that are still competing today. And um, that's really what I, what I really like about the whole thing. And did you start off in more local tournaments and then just kind of work your way up? Not really. Um, I started, I started fishing the MWC actually in 2004 and that's just a team circuit. And I fished that with my dad and my dad wasn't a, a, my dad had never fished a walleye tournament or a fishing tournament for that matter before him and I started fishing together. But that was kind of a blessing in itself because he knew how hard I wanted to, or he knew how bad I wanted to uh, pursue competitive fishing or, you know, and get better at the sport of fishing in general. And he just kind of let me be captain of the ship for better or for worse. You know, he wanted me to make the right decisions and live with the wrong decisions and learn from the wrong decisions. I had the patience of a saint many days, let me tell you, <laughs> um, that, that let me learn from those things. And, and, and there's no way that's the best way to get better is to make the wrong decisions and then reflect on those decisions and learn what you could have done better and then apply that at some other point in time down the road or go home to Madison and practice what you missed and figure out the, the, you know, the, the gaps in your game to overall make you a better angler. And, there's, and that's, that's probably the best way to become a better angler overall is to immerse yourself in that, uh, in that world against those other anglers and see how, how they actually pick apart bodies of water and perform on different bodies of water with different conditions and uh, just makes you a more well-rounded angler in the long run. It costs a little bit of money and time. And, all right uh, an effort but it's uh it's all worth it in the long run <laughs> yeah exactly and and i think you know another good thing is like you said it, it's putting yourself in those uncomfortable situations where you know you need to try out new techniques in order to be successful because if you go out there and you do the same techniques over and over uh you get comfortable in a certain way but when you move around to these different bodies of water you know, like you said, you've got to be, you got to be able to adapt and, uh, you know, put yourself out there, even if you fail, that's why you just can't fish the same way every single time. I agree a hundred percent. And that, and that, I'm not trying to take any, uh, help, I hope people that just like to fish their local tournaments and local derbies and, and local leagues. And I hope they don't take that the wrong way. Cause that's, you know, it's, it's some people just like to get out and compete whenever they can. And some people's schedules can't afford them the, the, the time away from home to compete on different bodies of water. But that's, um, I think that's the difference between people that, you know, travel around to different bodies of water and compete 
versus people that just stay local and fish the same stuff over and over again is uh, is your that that learning curve is spiked so much harder and faster by putting yourself in in unfamiliar territory on a regular basis. That's just the and that makes you better at home in the long run as well, don't you think? Oh yeah, absolutely. And that's why I've, I'm kind of digging at you a little bit to to kind of peel back the layers to see you know exactly what it takes for you know, a younger angler out there who looks at like the NWC as, you know, as I'm sorry, the NWT as a big, you know, national all eyes kind of like maybe one day I can do that. And that's, that's no knock on the, on the, the local angler who likes to do their, their weekend fishing or their local tournaments, but it's just anything that you're passionate about. It's, it's how far you want to take it to the next level. And, uh, you know, that insight that, that you're giving us, I think is, Something that, you know, like you said, humbling at the same time, but also a, a reality check for some folks who, uh, you know, want to attack this thing on, on a higher playing field. Yeah, and you can't, you can't get intimidated by anybody that's out there. I remember, when, you know, the first, the first couple of years I competed, um, I knew who some of the bigger names were, and, and there was, you know, I was like, holy cow, I'm competing against this guy and that guy. And then the, I remember the, the first year I would, jumped into the pro-am circuit it was the what was it back it was the flw back then um and i was like oh man these these are the guys i've been reading about in walleye insider and watching on tv since i was a young guy and now i'm competing on them and holy cow here's the final day of the big turn biggest tournament of my life and you just, you just get overwhelmed with what's going on around you versus just going back you know and picking apart your in your instincts to get the job done and um uh, you, you can't let that get in the way of of um, growing and you, and you can't be afraid to put your dip your toes in the water at any level I, and for for example uh, aim right now has their weekend walleye series in three different divisions wisconsin minnesota and north dakota and that is the perfect way to to dip your toes into learning uh learning the competitive fishing game because there's you know the, the, the decision making process is a goal on the fly throughout the day from day to day and preparing for an event and, um, and, and not having huge overhead that you regret financially at the end of the event, if you have a bad event to learn from, it's a great way to, it's a great way to learn. It's a fun way to scratch the competitive itch. And it's a really good group of guys with a cool format to, to, uh, start building your tournament fishing foundation before you step up maybe to the next level. But it's, there's a lot of cool avenues to, 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 uh, to build your way up there's you don't have to throw all your cards on the table all at once to, to get it done no yeah i agree and you know a lot of people i think look up those local tournaments or those state tournaments in your area like you said it's a good way to get your feet wet which kind of leads me to my next thing which is where i met you which was the saginaw bay event for the uh, for the nwt and kind of like what you're saying you know where you're kind of getting your feet wet or if you want an inside look of how things really are you know, I've always wanted to see because as soon as I heard that they had a co-angler program and that anybody can just you know sign up and uh, go out and, and with these pros, that's exactly what I did. And that's you know I met you at the the final day weigh-in, but man, what a great way to get a taste of what you know what it's like out there and and, and grind out for two days and experience you know the decision making, the stress, and everything. I mean, a lot of it's on you guys, the pro. <laughs> But at the same time, like, the, you know, the guy that I was with day two, he, I mean, he was in the running for top five. And so it's like, man, I just do not want to screw this up. I'm, you know, whatever I can do, you know, but you start to feel that pressure as a co-angler too. And it's just, it's a great insight. 
don't you mess up that net job, Lee. Yeah, exactly. I'm just right. kidding, buddy. <laughs> oh God, dude. Let me tell you, he had like an eight pounder on it's come in. And I'm like, you know, you just get tunnel vision. You can hear your heart beating. You're just like, I have to net this fish or he's going to be super pissed. Isn't that really <laughs> cool though? How like, the, the intensity level has stepped up enough notches that I think that's one of the coolest ways to cleanse a brain actually is to get in that kind of uh, environment where the intensity level is that amped up. I mean, you don't worry about possible emails that probably are coming through. Your phone is off. I mean, you are so zoned in and tunnel visioned into that moment and that day and just doing well that it's actually, it's, 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 a, it's, it's an amazing feeling. And then when you step off the water, you look at your phone and it's, it's gone crazy. But it's, uh, I think that's one of the other cool parts about that is it, you're forced to just go into tunnel vision for that day and uh, not worry about anything else around you. And yeah, that's, I, I love there's that. nothing else. That, yeah. I mean, I guess a bow hunter probably gets in that zone, you know, if they're, uh, when they, when they finally see that deer that they've been working all year to, you know, hopefully intersect at some point all comes into play. And for those few moments, I mean, I'm sure they get that same sort of tunnel vision, but that's, that's my way of, of getting in that zone. It sure feels good. But, but getting back, like you said, that's that competition, that next level that you, you craved as a, you know, a kid coming up and, you know, you wanted to get to that point where you could feel those feelings of that one fish is the difference between, you know, first and, you know, 10th or whatever it is. Oh yeah. Yep. And when it goes good, it goes good. And when it goes bad, it it goes bad and you got to learn how to deal with the highs and the lows. And, and that's all, that's all part of it. Oh yeah. I'm in sales. I know how that feels. (laughs) And, uh, you know, on this subject, I guess I, you know, this is a question I wanted to ask. What do you look for in a co-angler when he, he or she jumps in your boat, you're going out for a tournament. What's the kind of rundown that you give him or her? Uh, I just want the willingness to adapt to how I want to go about the day. Um, and I, and I've, for the most part, all my co-anglers that I've had, you know, are willing to do that. I've had a couple, especially when I was first starting and maybe people didn't know. And I, I, I was probably like what, 25 years old, 20, 24, 25 years old. I don't remember how old I was when I first started doing the pro-am stuff, but you know, I had one guy say, you know, listen, I've been, I've been fishing since you were in diapers. This is how I'm going to do it. And I just wanted to say, no, man, this is, this is how we're going to do it today because I, I, I want, I want, I want to take the, I, you know, I want it to be on me if it doesn't work out right. I don't want it to be on you. You know, you just put on, you put so much time and effort into putting together a game plan that any, any deviation from there can, uh, can have a negative effect on your day or positive if, if it was a different if you want to look at it a different way. But other than that, I mean, you, it's, it's, I've had some really amazing co-anglers and I've learned a lot from my co-anglers and I hope that it's, that it's been beneficial for them as well. I remember when I, I fished one tournament as a co-angler back in 2007 and I, uh, and I actually drew Tommy Chemos for one of the days and was on green Bay and everything from, from watching him, watching how he drove a boat in big water and you know how he would come off a wave and 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 re-enter and his angles that he was running to how he was setting up and fishing to how he was analyzing his graph and reading the currents and fighting his fish i mean i i i picked up so much and i learned so much from just eight hours of fishing with that guy 
Uh, I can't imagine, you know, when you get to do this for an entire year, are you going to do the, the entire circuit this year or just that one tournament? No, just that one tournament. It was on uh, a local body of water in my Saginaw Bay. I live in uh, northern Michigan, um, but I've been on the bay many times and fished it a lot. But, you know, just when you think you know it or how to catch walleye out there, it's always I'm always interested in how other people approach the water. And especially I was very interested to see how the pros approach my home body of water. And, uh, and learn from them. And that's what I found so appealing about it. But I'm not doing the whole circuit. Okay. Well, if you, anybody that is, what an education, for sure. I mean, they, yeah. you're going to get to jump in a dozen different boats. And I guarantee out of a, out of a dozen days of fishing or whatever that comes to be, um, you know, a few of those days are going to be really special where they just take so much away. They take, they'll take a year's worth of experience away in, in an eight-hour fishing session. And there is nowhere else you can do that. Nowhere. nowhere. No, yeah, I, I agree a thousand percent. I learned so much after that day. You know, a lot of it was, you know, making the long runs and hitting the big waves that took a toll. But even at the end of the day, my brain was just in a fog almost from the overload of information that I was trying to process. And then, <laughs> you know, to wake up and do it the next day. I mean, a lot of it's, I mean, all of it's on you guys, the pros. But like I said, you know, I can't imagine how you guys would feel, but it gave me a huge perspective and inside look of how you guys deal with all that stress and your game plans and how to attack, uh, you know, day two. I think that's a huge pivotal point is how guys going into day two, what do they do? Do they stick to the plan? Do they try to go for bigger fish? And uh, like you said, it's a, it really pays off sometimes, and when it's really low, it's low. Yeah, and that's well, that's fishing in general, but that's especially walleyes. That's I mean, you can literally go do the exact same thing two days in a row. If you had something going in practice on that kind of program and you get them one day for no apparent reason, even if the conditions were exactly the same, everything seems perfect, everything seems right, it's still a walleye being a walleye, and you, and they still throw you a curveball. And uh, that's what I like because it keeps a lot of these, you know, it keeps us as angler, or it keeps an angler very, uh, uh, it keeps him from getting too high on himself in a hurry because the way walleyes can treat you in a, in a blink of an eye. And I like oh. that. Yeah, exactly. Makes you respect them a lot more. Yes, it sure does. Good way of putting uh, it. How do you think our sport's doing in general, just walleye fishing in the entire industry as a whole? Uh, boat sales are up and uh, they're up big time right now. So that's a good indicator that people are looking to spend their recreational dollars uh, to go, you know, moving towards fishing. Um, competitive yeah. fishing in general, um, it's it's changing, it's evolving, um, and it's not what it, I, I, you know, I don't think it's, uh, I, don't, I don't know how to say it, but it's, I mean, it, maybe it's, it's not, you know, the approach to pursuing a path as a professional angler or maintaining that um, that level is different now than it was in the past. But it's, okay. it's still there, um, and it's uh, it's good right now. I mean, I, I, there's still plenty of interest in the sport, and more people in the last couple of years seem to have come out to play uh, versus when I don't know if you look back at you know 2008, 2009, or whenever when uh, all of a sudden you saw a lot of names kind of wander off and disappear. You know, a lot of those names have come back to to uh, to play in the in the playgrounds again. So it's a good thing. I agree. I think the sport's doing well. I also believe that 
bass fishing is um, still going to be something that's more mainstream and for folks to uh, maybe relate to a little bit easier because it's a fish that a lot of people do catch. But I don't care what species you're fishing for. I'm happy. And I believe the industry is definitely on the upswing. It, it, anytime anyone wants to pick up a rod and reel and go fish for whatever species, you know, I'm super stoked to see, especially little kids. Yeah. But, you know, college, high school teams are getting bigger. Uh, you know, bass fishing in college is getting bigger. And I think the promotion through social media has really spread the word about it in this day and age compared to, you know, maybe in the 90s or something like that, where it was something that you could you almost have to look at from the side and say, you know, maybe one day I'll do that. But I feel like there's so many good names out there and promoters and uh, even your you know friends that you didn't know fished in the past posting photos of huge fish. It's good to see that it's it's alive and well. It is alive and well. Actually, I was just just before we talked, I was just watching um, Mark Daniels Jr. win his first major on uh, Lake Hawaii. And, oh really? Uh, did you watch any of that Bass Live coverage out there? I didn't. Um, they were catching smallies right off some of the rocks that I would drag nightcrawlers over to catch my walleyes. <laughs> but uh, it was really cool. And I and I have a and him is an angler. And, and Bass does a really good job at growing the brands of individual anglers. Like you, you, you know, I don't know if you follow Bass much, but I, I do. I just love competitive fishing as a whole, and I, I, I love and I love what Bass does for their individual anglers. You know, they. They build their brands up as much as they build their brands up that support their organization, and that, that's that's a huge component to making the entire thing work. And um, Mark Daniels Jr. He was very composed on camera. You know, he lost some key fish that almost cost him the tournament, and uh, maintained his, maintained a positive attitude and um, was was very humble in his win and very thankful. You know, you could just see the relief when he held the trophy over his head, which I see from other anglers when they win. It's just a relief, like, holy cow, I've put so much time and dedication and sacrifice into trying to get to this level, and I finally get to hold one of these trophies over my head, and it's pretty cool. And I hope, you know, going back to what you said about the, the youth angling movement with college and high school, I hope that those guys, you know, it's, it's great that they have a dream to also stand on that stage someday. I just hope they don't put the cart before the horse, and, and I hope that they still be you know, focus on becoming a student of the game of fishing itself as much as they do trying to learn the, you know, the promotional avenues and how to become a quote unquote professional fisherman um, before they actually, before their foundation is, is really sound and capable of competing anywhere in the country at any given time against some of the best anglers, you know, in the world. And um, yeah. that's something that I really hope isn't, isn't lost with the, with the new youth angling movement. So um, we'll see, but uh, it looks, it, it's definitely looking good right now. Yeah, I agree. And I don't think that will be lost. You know, it, it's, it's just with anything, you know, it's, it, they've got to put in the grind, but at the same time, they've got to love the grind in the process too. You know, it's, it's just not about holding trophies. No. It's about, you know, it's about the love of the game and the, you know, you know, the grind that gets you there. And that's what makes you, your foundation a lot more solid for, for the future. Yes. The best you can take, you could strip all of that away tomorrow. And I would still look forward to going out on the water and feeling a fish inhale whatever I'm throwing out there and just, you know, feeling that tick through my hand and up my arm and, and, and re, you know, reefing back on it. I mean, there's, it's, it still comes down to getting a bite and hooking a fish and, 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 and putting together something on the water, regardless if there's a competition in hand or not. It's, it's still fishing. And if you don't have that 
true love and, and passion for the sport of fishing itself, you're, you're, you're not going to go anywhere no matter how many colorful patches you have on your shirt when you walk around. So, Yeah, um, I agree a thousand percent. But yeah. I also see, you know, speaking of, you know, bass fishing, I see a lot of walleye guys, including yourself, going over to compete in some bass tournaments like you know, <laughs> Sturgeon Bay. Is that right? Yeah, that's, yeah. Robert Blosser has, uh, he has a, a house up in Door County that we go up and, and camp out at every once in a while. So that was our, that was our fun event for the year, just because those brown bass up there are so much fun to go play with. And, uh, even a couple of blind squirrels found a nut for that one. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. I seen the photos. They're huge. I see a lot of you, <laughs> you all, I pros going up there. It's like a, a, a fun time to, you know, sharpen the skills and everyone's holding up big fish with smiles on their face. So that's pretty cool to see. Yes. They're a special fish up there, man. I mean, they're, they're big, old, fat goby eaters, and uh, I don't care if you're a total walleye nut or not, you'd still get a kick out of hooking one of those things. I hooked the biggest one of my life this year up there, and I, I, of course, it's the big one that got away story. Uh, Robert Blossom <laughs> wasn't there to net it, so that's, that's uh, all his Oh, fault. okay. I'm just kidding. Maybe um, he felt that pressure. Yeah, <laughs> he was feeling the pressure. No, I, I had this one follow follow my tube in, and it, it inhaled it right next to the boat, and uh, it, I, I, I don't even know how big to say it was. All I know is when I looked down at it, I was like, that is the biggest brown bass I've ever stuck a hook in in my life. I just want to hold it for a second, and it broke off. But, my oh. God, it was huge. You should have – it was unbelievable. It's a totally different animal up there, man. Love it. Yeah, I hope to do it someday. So getting in – so we talked earlier. It's super hot out. It's kind of getting into that midsummer. um grind it's the fourth the week of the fourth of july uh what are you typically doing right now right now uh if i'm fishing walleye i'm probably doing a couple different things i'm either rigging bottom bouncing or slip bobbering around here in town and uh doing one of the three it's it's they're easy tactics to use with people if you you know especially for for guides or if you're if you're taking people out that don't have a lot of experience they're they're easy methods to go out and make sure that everybody's fishing effectively with a simplified presentation to go out and catch some fish you don't have to do anything overly complicated you don't even have to know really how to feel bottom because you got a super heavy piece of lead that thunks bottom and even a person that's never dropped a line down before can tell when they hit bottom with something like that and that's that really helps and you know you're covering water and you're just looking for fish that are starting to set up on some deeper, uh, deeper structure, and it's a good way to go connect with them. So, um, yeah. And any anybody listening to this, I want to kind of go through. Let's hone in on the the, the bottom bouncing and uh, bottom bouncing, sure. Yeah, yeah, and what you're pulling. So, so we get out to the lake, and where do these things? Or I guess I should say, what are the fish doing this time of year, typically? Um. Well, typically, right now, we have really defined thermocline set up here in Madison. And, okay. um, and so basically even in open water, you still have a barrier or you can almost call it structure at that point. Cause you still have a, t- a defined thermal break in the water that, that fish and bait will relate to. And so when you identify where that temperature break is, you can then go to some adjacent structures and look in those similar depths where that thermal blip break might be and, and, uh, and locate your fish that way. So, you know, a lot of those, a lot of those bigger walleyes like to hover right around that cooler water, but it's, 
they also like to come up into that that warmer section of water to feed and and be active. So uh, if you you know that that really helps um, filter out dead water in the lake and helps pinpoint fish on reliable areas where you can target them based on on where those temperature breaks are setting up. Uh, we actually have a pretty cool deal here in, in Madison. If you there's an app that you can go on, they have a buoy set out there, so you can actually just go on your on your phone and see where that where that temperature break is set up for that day and and kind of you know even before you get to the lake you can get a game plan going of what your milk run is going to be for that day based on how that temperature break is set up in the lake dang um, that's so, convenient yeah so once once you get out there you identify you start marking some fish and you go fishing for them it's just uh you know you you have several different options of what you can pull behind a bottom bouncer and i usually pull two or three different presentations behind a bottom bouncer till the fish tell me what they want to eat that day okay uh, but it's almost always a night crawler and uh it's either going probably going to be a slow death or a or a spinner blade and it's just a it's just a real simple way to cover water i mean there's a lot of you know little details that you can get into to make your presentation more effective um but at the end of the day, you're just you're just putting a piece of worm behind a heavy piece of lead and dragging it around till something bends your rod over, <laughs> and uh, it works out pretty good. Now, do you ju- adjust the weight depending on the wind and how fast you're pulling and everything? Yeah, and that's where a lot of the vari- variables come into play. If you're in deeper water versus shallower water, you might change your line from a mono to a braid just because you can go to a thinner diameter line it has less water resistance so you can actually keep a lighter weight more vertical um, but that's one of the key things to especially when you're bottom bouncing typically you're going to go through some you know rocky areas with bottom bouncers not always but uh, around around here and a lot of other areas of the country you do so the more vertical you can keep your presentation the less snaggy you're going to be the more precise you're going to be and the better you're you're better able to keep your whatever you're pulling behind the bottom bouncer in the perfect zone more of the, you know, more of the time. Um, so heavier bottom bouncers for sure. I mean, even if you're in, you know, if you're in 15 to 20 feet of water, you can get by with a two ounce, sometimes even a little bit heavier. Um, but it, you don't have to be afraid to go too light. They're just fish and they don't really care most of the time. Gotcha. And then what about happens if you get into some weeds they pull through there sometimes typically pretty good as long as they got something in front of it to block them. Yeah, they do, and that's um, bottom bouncers are a great weed deflector. They um, will pull along weed lines. There's there's some different areas, especially if you can find a weed line that has some some uh, hard bottom or rock that's adjacent to those weeds, and um, those are great zones to pull up against. And if a you know a gust of wind or a wave pushes you right into the weeds, you can still tickle, or or maybe that weed line isn't super defined. Maybe there's a secondary edge coming off of that weed line that's a little more sparse. That's a great application to pull a bouncer, um, you know, through that through that sparse weed line and still keep your still keep your baits going by. And if, if you do pull through the weeds, one trick is to cut off the back hook of that crawler harness and just use a single hook harness, um, just for, for a little, so you don't hook up quite as bad. You know, maybe even downsize your hook a little bit so it's just a smaller gap to hang up in the weeds so it's a little more buried in the crawler. Oh, okay. Uh, so you can do a lot of little tweaks to your presentation depending on if you're in shallow water, deep water pulling through debris, pulling over rock. You know, if you're in clear water and you're more of a sandy bottom, maybe go to a lighter bouncer so you send your stuff behind the boat a little bit further for boat shy fish. But I mean, they're, they're just, it, it's, a, it's a very simple presentation, but you can make it more, there's little complexities in it that you can fine tune to make it 
perfect for the conditions that you're fishing. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you're running these. Are you running these on boards, and then maybe one rod in your hand too? No, I like to run. Uh, well, it, like if I'm on Green Bay on a mud plant and uh, I'm pulling bouncers, and, and you don't have to have a bottom bouncer on the bottom. All a, all a bottom bouncer is is a, a delivery system. So just getting it down, it, yeah. Just yeah, it just positions your bait at a certain part in the water come, but it is really effective on the bottom. Um, but if if I'm trying to troll an expansive area of water, I'll put stuff on boards. But you're so much more efficient if you just put it right below the boat and go forward because then you can monitor your rod tips. You can have the perfect, you know, you can have it the perfect distance off the bottom. You can, when, when a fish starts to bite, you know, you can address the bite depending on how it bit. So you can either let the fish load up on the rod or maybe drop back on them and let him eat it a little bit better. Or maybe he creams it and he's already hooked up, but you, you can identify the type of bite that you just got. Or if there's a lot of perch, if there's a lot of perch in the area, do everything you can to fish right behind the boat because if they're picking you apart throughout the day, you're spending so much less time taking a board off than you are just reeling in a few feet of line, and, you know, putting a new worm on or, or whatever. And if there is a lot of perch in the area, don't be afraid to go to, you know, artificials on your harnesses either because that's just keeping your bait in the, even if you're getting less bites per hour using artificials versus worms, if you're, if your bait's in the water, a certain percentage more to offset that that bite per hour ratio with walleyes then you're going to be better off putting artificials down anyways just to get in the you know to stay in the zone and get bit more oh yeah that's a good tactic i don't know if too many guys realize you can do that switch over to the the artificials then you're not changing bait as as often and uh spending so much time especially when those those littler perch or something like that are going after it yes and when you're pulling through weeds if you get hung up on a weed, if you have an artificial on, you can, you can rip it, you know, rip it free and snap that bait free of the weeds and not have to worry about, oh, I better bring it in and fix my worm. You, you, you still have your plastic on there, so now you can just probably hang it in there in the zone for just a little bit longer before you have to bring it up and check it or clear off debris. So it's a, it's a lot easier maintenance too. But there's, and that's like I said, I mean, there's, there's so many, so many different little things you can do to, to make whatever presentation you're doing, whether it's bottom bouncing or whatever you're doing just a little bit better or a little bit more efficient. So you're, you're in, you're just fishing better, you know, more of the time that makes a huge difference at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. Being as efficient as possible on that boat is, uh, is going to help you get a lot more fish in there, especially like you said, if you're not, you're not, you know, messing around with, uh, you know, always rigging up and putting live bait on. It's, uh, it's all about efficiency. It is. And don't be, and, and don't be afraid to run short leads either. I mean, even a, you know, two, three, three and a half foot behind a bouncer is usually, you don't need a whole lot more. Sometimes you do. Um, but most of the time, the shorter lead that you can have behind your bouncer, the more efficient you are as well. And sometimes that bouncer is the attractant to the whole presentation they get they get curious when that thing comes through or starts scraping rocks or makes some noise or clears some weeds away they uh they get really curious what that thing is and then right behind it's a, a juicy piece of night crawler and they can't say no so you got to be um you don't don't be afraid to shorten up your leads if you're not getting bit sometimes actually making it shorter makes the whole thing better and yeah so, i gotta imagine it helps you go through the weeds probably better too it does yep and then even if you're pulling over rocks you know you tend to you tend to drag your harness over the rocks less with a little shorter with a little shorter lead. Um, go to monofilament, not lower carbon for your bottom bouncer rods. If you know 
that's uh, just a little bit more buoyant. Um, you know, a lot of different little things you can do to keep keep your bait up and off bottom uh, more of the time as well. And what pound test are you running uh, on your trolling rods? Uh, I'll run for the for the leader. I'll run like uh, 15, 15 pound, fifteen to 15 seventeen pound. pound. Yep. Okay. Um, and, and then your and main line. Main line would be like ten to twelve for mono. Okay. And probably you know fifteen fifteen pound super line. Um, that's that's pretty much what I what I use. And not if I can get away with it, I like to use super line. I know a lot of guys are hardcore mono guys through and through with it. That's what they all want to pull their bottom bouncers with, but um, I really like I really like the feel. Like you can you can you, the bottom transitions if you're just in a rod holder are visibly more noticeable. Okay. You, you, you can see when that when that um, you, you know you can immediately see when that sinker is ticking a harder bottom versus a softer bottom, or how the rod's responding differently um, with a with a no stretch no stretch line versus monofilament. So you can. You can take a lot. You can get. You can gather a lot more information by using a no stretch line. You lose a few more fish, I think, um, but it's it's worth it to, for me. <laughs> I think. And and, and and I know trolling is is super effective, um, but more on a personal level, what's your favorite way to catch walleye? Oh, with a casting rod in my hand. There's no, yeah. <laughs> there's no question. And I but I used to. That's not always been the case. I mean, there. I should show you some notebooks. When I was in grade school, I and I and I learned about trolling, and I'd see these, I'd, you know, I'd I'd see these illustrations in Walleye Insider of how people would troll. So I'd go to my notebook in math class or wherever in school, and draw out my own trolling diagrams and uh. and all these different variations and all these um, all these new things that might work or might not work, different ways to present boards or different rod holder configuration. I. I Actually, I should go dig up those those notebooks and see if I can get any new inspiration from what I was thinking of in in middle school. But um, that used to be my favorite way because it was such a uh, you had to take there was such an analytical approach you could take to trolling to dial in a bite. You know, there's so you 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 know you systematically change a certain set of variables until the fish respond a certain way, and then you can start to fine tune in, in that direction. And that was just a I, I love that process of elimination. That was probably one of my favorite parts about fishing. But then when this whole Great Lakes casting thing got rolling a few years ago, and um, uh, man, there's that's probably one of my funnest ways to, to hook a big walleye now is just to feel them whack it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that method has blown up. Like you said, cat, like, like you said, you're on a big body of water like Erie, uh, Green Bay or Saginaw Bay, you know, maybe back in the day, a lot of guys were trolling. And at least when I grow up, I've seen a lot of guys trolling. But in the last few years, you know, finding that structure or those where those fish are hanging out and, and pitching to them, uh, whether it's a jigging wrap or, you know, a jig or whatever it is, it, it almost feels like you're you're bringing up bigger fish. Yeah, it is. And But mark my words, everything will come full circle again. There'll be some uh. big innovation in the trolling game that'll bring everybody dominate back is, yeah and but as uh, you know there's definitely a time and a place to to sit your boat down and uh and focus on a very specific area and make repeated casts to it or just you know work work a stretch and and work it with a jigging rod in your hand and this year 
we just uh, signed on with JT Outdoor Products and were able to help develop a, a new Great Lakes, a new rod that excels at Great Lakes casting techniques. It's good for a lot of different things, including like we're about to go to Devil's Lake in uh, about two weeks. And out there, I've only been there a couple times, but the couple times I've been there, you know, working a jigging wrap is a very good effective way to um, to catch big walleyes out there and this rod will be absolutely dynamite for it but going back to the casting stuff this this new 6.9 black rain from jt outdoor products i've i've never felt so much well with with a casting rod in my hand as i have with this and then you know it's great that it's lightweight and it's got amazing components but just the just the just the feel is what i'm so amazed with i mean when when I'm quartering into a, when I'm quartering my cast and the wind is taking my line out to the side and it's not, it's not set up perfect for casting, I still have all the sensitivity I need to address bottom and feel the bites and get rock solid hook sets. Uh, and I've, I've always, you know, and until until I got these rods in my hand, I've I've settled for a lot of mediocre rods in my arsenal because I've been confident in my abilities to still be able to catch fish using lesser equipment but now that i've had these in my hands um since the beginning of the year i don't want to put them down man this is, they are freaking amazing <laughs> i love it. Uh, yeah and i love it and that that black rain has been blowing up but like you said when you're pitching that quarter cast out the front of the boat you're getting the same energy transfer far away as you are almost as close you know like Maybe with other rods, at least this is the way I felt. When I would pitch it far out, you're not going to get that same kind of feel as you would and feel that bottom as when that that or that or lure gets closer and closer to you. But even those far out, it, you, that energy transfer, you can feel it pretty much consistently all the way, bringing your lure all the way back to the boat. Yeah. Yep. Long-distance hook sets aren't a problem. They feel like a they feel like a hook set, you know, not too far from the boat. Um, it's... It's it's amazing, and then when you go back to you know using if you if you're jumping a buddy's boat and you're using their stuff or you you know you, I still don't have, I I still have to have a couple other rods in my arsenal so I don't so I can be efficient with my time on the water right now. And right. when I go back to those rods, I, I swear I swear there's a numbness sensation compared to what I just had in my hand, and it's it's hard to explain, and I it, I, I and I even feel a little uncomfortable you know, talking about it like that, because it's, I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm with the company. I'm, I'm, I'm a big believer in their products, but I don't want to sound like a sales pitch. You just need to go fish with a buddy that has one. And then you'll take my word for it. It's, it's it real. There really is an amazing difference. And I didn't, I wasn't a believer until I had this, this kind of a caliber rod in my hand uh, up until this year. So pretty dang impressed, man. Yeah. And then, you know, uh, just so everyone listening, there's always probably a local pro staff in your area, and you can always try a rod. Just ask them, call them up, see who it is, and that's the nice thing about it. Is once you try it out, if it's for you and you really feel that difference, like you're talking about, it's it, it's a no brainer. Yeah, but yep, but uh, what cool. one more one more thing I want to hit you up on. Um, I was on your website and I was checking out some of the photos that you post uh, for your beta knock trips that you've been taking. And it's a specific time of year that you go up to uh, Beta Knock to catch some some pretty big walleye. Yeah, that's my that's my that's my favorite way to close out a season is up there. <laughs> and I've been I've been doing it. Uh, went out with Dad uh, over 20 years ago now, and uh, I remember it. Oh, uh, what was it? 
we went, Dad and I went up ice fishing in northern Wisconsin. How much, how are we doing on time? Do you got time for another story with me? Heck yeah, I do. Okay. Well, Dad and I went up to this little lake in northern Wisconsin, and um, we went ice fishing, got our old blue Plymouth Voyager stuck in the middle of the lake, had to get towed off. But while Dad was getting towed off, I was out there catching a limit of perch. And then we ran into this guide out there, and uh, he was, he was saying that, and Dad was like, man, my son loves walleyes. We would, we would love to go out and catch some, some walleye sometime. And he goes, you just wait till about Halloween time and come out fishing with me on Little Bay to Knock, and I'll show you a giant walleye. Well, next year for my birthday, Dad hired this guy, to, and we went out with him. And I still had – I've never caught a big walleye at that point. And um, we get out there. I was like in a the summer raincoat with – some jeans and some long underwear. Actually, I don't even know. I, no, I don't even know if I had long underwear. And I, halfway oh, through the day, I was soaked in hypothermic. It was, <laughs> I was miserable. And we, we hadn't, we never caught a walleye all day, but I did see a dude catch a giant, you know, a, a solid eight pounder next to me. And up until then, that was the biggest walleye I ever seen. So I was like, Dad, we gotta, we, we gotta come. I don't care if we catch a fish all day. There's big walleyes that swim here, and now we have to figure out how to catch them, and we're going to learn how to do this together. So the next next year, um, I actually had to have my appendix taken out just before we were supposed to go on our trip, and I was like, we ain't missing this trip, Dad. So I'm sitting on two or three pillows in, in our truck to, to, to get up there, and I'm I'm just you know bent over, and Dad's you know just in pain. Dad's driving me up there. We get up there, and the ramp is halfway frozen. It was another crazy experience, but we caught some pretty big walleyes, and ever since then, I've been so hooked on that place. It's just a really special place where some big fish show up at the end of the year, and um, I was I was able to fine tune some you know my feel for Great Lakes trolling presentations up there um, through that process because a lot of it's done after dark, and when and when you're fishing in pitch black. A lot of it is feel, whether, you know, it's your the boat, the boat movement, the boat search, the way your boat's pulling, the way you're analyzing your graph and using your graph as your eyes underwater. I mean, when you turn out the lights, a whole other sensation or a whole other sense has to come into play for you to, to, to learn and get a feel for how you're trolling. And I, I really believe that that's helped me become a better troller over time. But we... You know, we, we'd troll some shallow reefs. We'd, we learned how to pull segmented lead core over deep water for, you know, walleyes at different depths using speed to manage the lure placement. Um, and it's it's just a really special place to close out the year. The last few years, unfortunately, it's been a little tougher. The big fish aren't as easy to come by as they used to be. But there were some years where you, you'd think I was just telling you a stupid fish story as good as that fishing was up there. And I'll never forget those days and definitely don't take them for granted well i see the photos online i believe you and i've <laughs> I, I know the potential or, or not the potential of what that that body of water produces and can produce like you said i know it's been taking a hit in the last few years and i i think they're trying to bring that back a little bit those regulations and a, a lot of netting violations and things like that have been holding that body of water back but like you said it's a special place and you know that's kind of cool you got to Attack that one with your dad. You know, that's something you're probably always going to remember. I'll never forget it. I owe, I owe so much of what I've learned um, as a fisherman to my dad, and my dad just, you know, supporting the learning process and letting me grow as my own angler and uh, not forcing me to do anything, not trying to impart his 
you know, his practice, best practices on me, just let me learn. And we learn together. And um, those are hours on the water that I'll, I'll never forget. And then we even got to apply those, you know, fishing together in team tournaments and even fortunate to do well in a few of them. And those are memories that you'll, that'll never leave the memory bank. And it's a pretty special deal. So pretty lucky. That's, a, that's awesome. Thanks for sharing. And, uh, well, I think, you know what, I've kept you long enough. Uh, I appreciate you, uh, stopping by and, you know, educating us not only about yourself, walleye fishing tournaments and, uh, some tactics, but, uh, you know what? I, I, I love watching you c- compete. And like I said, I was there at the Saginaw Bay event and you were holding on to first place, which <laughs> made it, made it look like I thought you were going to win it and walk away with the trophy. But like you said, it's very humbling and, um, but you never lost a smile on your face the whole time. I'm sure it was a, you know, a hard one to swallow, but that's what it's all about. Well, the, it was easier to not lose that smile when you see one of your best friends go up there and, and take it from you. That's I mean, true. It, that's true. Brett did, uh, you guys are pretty tight. Oh, dude, he brought, I, I had him, uh, he was the, what's the word, is the minister for the wedding? Is that the right word? Yeah. So, he, he was the guy that married me a couple of few months ago, okay? No way. So, yes. And, and I'm, t- that guy, he pulled an all-nighter to write this speech um, of what he wanted to say to me and Jamie. And and when that dude came up and started talking, he brought the entire chapel to tears, Lee. I'm telling you, what, what you know, he spent so much time. It was a really cool deal, and I, I owed that guy at, at least one win for, for what he did for me that day. And But I'm hopeful. You know what? Actually, one's good enough. Next, that's next all time I get. We're in this position, I'm taking it back from them. <laughs> Brett King, there's your one pass. Yeah, no, it's uh, we're pretty lucky to have to have uh, uh, my best friends Robert Blosser and Brett King traveling with me to fish these tournaments. It it wouldn't be fun. It wouldn't be as productive. And we we've gone through a whole lot of learning together as a group. And and I'm just lucky to have those boys by my side as we travel around. So pretty thankful for those guys. That's awesome. I appreciate guys like you taking the time to spend time with, you know, podcast interviews, people who ask questions after events, and it's things like this that helps keep the sport alive, and thanks for taking the time. Appreciate it, Lee. At any time, reach out, and it goes for anybody that's listening to this podcast. Any questions, um, if I can do anything to help anybody, uh, you can reach me through social media or, uh, or through my website, so uh, feel free to feel free to reach out. I'm here. That's perfect. And for anybody listening, I will link to Joe's website in the show notes, and you guys can hit him up with any questions you have. And, Joe, good luck out in Devil's Lake, man. Appreciate it, buddy. We're going to need it. All right, man. Take care. Thanks, Lee. See ya. Huh? How about that? Isn't he a great guy? I want to thank Joe again for coming on the podcast. Joe, you're the man. I appreciate all the time you spent with us. And I want to thank you, the listener, for spending time with me and listening to the podcast. Remember to follow me on social on Instagram and also to continue to write in with questions and topics that you guys want to hear more about. I'm going to start getting into more of the uh, hunting aspect of things with fall just around the corner, Um, doing a little bit of uh, deer talk, waterfowl, and a lot more of that kind of stuff because it'll be here before you know it. Take care, everybody. Thanks for listening.